0: Glory to God. Good song. Boy, I love that song. Thank you, worship team. always appreciate all that they do for us, getting getting worship ready. Glory to God. Good night last night for those who didn't get to be here. We did have fun. And we did miss those of you who were not here, but those who were here, it was a good time. Well, glory to God. Well, there's a little boy. As little boys do, you know, he asks questions. And he was uh, sitting out in the backyard with his dad. And he looked out. They were looking out the sky. And he says, Dad, he says, Why is the sky blue? Dad says, Well, I don't know. He said, Dad, why is the grass green? Dad said, "Uh, uh, I don't know. He said, Dad, how do birds fly? And Dad said, Son, I don't know. And one more question left. It says, Dad, do you mind me asking you all these questions? Yeah. Little boy, uh, that's it, the little boy. He says, No, son, there's no way you can learn anything if you don't ask any questions. <laughs> just because we ask questions doesn't mean that we learn anything. And just because we go through trials and tribulations doesn't mean we come out what we're supposed to. The Word of God tells us. In the book of James, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. As we've been in this series looking at the things we can add to our life to bring completion that God has given us, these are things that our life will produce. We looked at joy, that you are supposed to be a producer of joy. You should overflow with joy. We looked at peace. You don't ask God for peace. He's given you the ability to produce peace on the inside of you. To walk in the peace of God. And that peace and that joy have certain functions. We saw that joy had the function of bringing strength. If you don't have strength, you don't have joy. Get your joy back and you'll find your strength. Peace came in for two things. It gave you stability and it gave you direction. It would tell you yes or no. It was basically God's ephod of the Old Testament in the New. And the peace of God that is in you is there to umpire your life, as the Word of God tells us. Well, now we're going to leave those two. There's still a lot more. You can look at those two in the Word of God. But we're going to go on into patience. Because patience is something that's up to you to produce in your life. It's not just a good character trait. Some people are more patient than others. No, that's not true. Every single person here can walk in patience. Every single one. But we have a misconception of what patience is, how it comes, and what it is to do. So we want to clear up some of those things from the Word of God. Help us out with that today. In uh, James chapter 1, verse 2, let's read it again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, why does he have to tell you to count it all joy? How many have fallen into various trials? How many understand why he has to tell you, count it all joy? Because we don't feel like counting all joy. When we fall into various trials, the last thing on our mind is joy. Because what has happened? Joy has gone from our life. What also left with the joy? My strength. Well, trials produce patience. That is false. How many have always learned that trials produce patience? That is false. If it was true, how many trials have you been through in your life? And how much patience do you have? If going through trials produced patience, shouldn't we all have a whole lot of patience around this time? So obviously, that understanding is wrong. But the verse never said that trials produced patience. Never said that. Let's read it again. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It is not the trial that produces patience. It is the testing of your faith that is done in a trial that produces patience. So if you go through a trial and never let your faith be tested you will not produce any more patience. Now, many times Christians are going through trial after trial after trial, hanging on to that thought. Well, trials produce patience, so this is good. Hanging on to that thought, but it's not producing anything in their life at all, except frustration, anger, resentment, and a bunch of other things. Now, how many would like to take their trials and have them produce something? I mean, if you're going to go through the trial, you may as well produce something, Right? Go back to verse 2 again. Look at this. He says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall. He does not say when you walk into tribulations or trials. He says when you fall into them. Now, if you fall into something, how many know that you did not intend to? You did not intend to go into the, t- the testing or the trial, but you fell into it. I did some looking up, and I think it's further down in your outline, or it's further down in, in mine. Well, we'll just remind me. We'll come back into that in just a little bit. But let's. Uh, why, do, why do we become impatient? Let's take a look at it this way. Look at some of the things that uh, the trials have come into your into your life. Some trials that have have come in you. Uh, you're going on through, you've got a nice car, Car's going, doing well, all of a sudden the car breaks down and you have no car. You have no money to get a new car. And so what do you do? You pray. God, I need a new car. And the car, you don't have a car for the, the whole week. And so for the whole week you don't have a car. How are you getting to work? You, know, you can take a taxi, you can ask a friend. Maybe, depending upon where work is, the bus or the train might help out. If the bus or the train doesn't help out, then you're really kind of stuck. You know, maybe you can get a bicycle. But we're getting into winter. How many like the bicycle in the summertime? You may not like the bicycle in the wintertime. That's kind of nasty. So uh, we're, we're, we made it through today. We made it through tomorrow. How many know this know this is testing you? Yeah. So you prayed, and what do you say? God, I need a car, and I need it now. I need it now. You see, this is where the patience has a problem is because when I have a need and I ask God to help me with that need and that need is still there. You have a pain in your body, sickness in your body. You need healing. So you do what the word of God says. I spoke to sickness and disease and sickness and disease didn't go. It's still here still there that would be considered a trial would you not consider sickness and disease a test or a trial something that you fell into you didn't want to go in there and so we begin to be anxious because what comes up you need that now you should have it now you deserve to have it now Why, why should you have to wait so and so didn't have to wait they got it right away why are you waiting and we begin to become impatient now, it's not wrong to have, have lack. It's not wrong to have a need. Sometimes we get it as Christians, well, I don't need anything. Well, that's not right. If you don't need anything, why are you going to work? You can list a whole lot of other things in there. Well, why do you go to the grocery store? What produces a trip to the grocery store? Because we love the place? Love standing in line? Love finding all the stuff that we want to do? No, we go there because we have a need. It is perfectly fine for a Christian to have a need. Just make sure you take care of it in the right way. Don't take care of it in the wrong way. So we can have needs. I wrote in your, your uh, outline there. If you want to go look them up later on, you can. If I'm insufficient in an area, then I am in lack, or I have a need. insufficiency will do that. In John thirteen twenty nine, Jesus said they needed things for the feast. Jesus needed things. For the feast, how many of you needed things for Thanksgiving? Because either people were coming over, you're going someplace. In Acts chapter two, verse forty-five, there was the needs of the saints mentioned. In Acts four thirty-four and thirty-five, it says as each one had need. Luke nine eleven, there were sick who needed healing. Second Corinthians eleven nine, there was lack supplied by others. In 1 John three seventeen, speaks about a brother in need. Well, should there be times of need? In Hebrews 4:16, 16, it reads this way. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in what? Time of need. If it's wrong to be in need, why is he telling you what to do when you're in need? For this reason, in Titus 1, 5, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Well, if things are lacking, are you not in need? So, Paul says, I left you there, Titus, to take care of the things that were lacking, that you would supply those things that were needed. Now, Just because I have needs doesn't mean I can't have joy or patience. You can have a need and not fall out of joy. If you uh, open up the refrigerator and you look inside and you find that you are out of chocolate milk, you have a need of chocolate milk. How many people understand what I'm talking about? I have my daily quota of chocolate milk. And now that we're in the season, I also have a weekly quota of eggnog. I know some people can't stand eggnog. That's good because it leaves more for me. That's perfectly all right. I just have, to, I have trouble not gulping the stuff down. It's so good to me. I just, you have to try and sip it, you know, and just enjoy it. Because it is very, a whole lot of calories. A whole lot of calories. I put up on Facebook on somebody's page that says one of the reasons I run is for eggnog. Do enjoy that. But I don't think that has any benefits like chocolate milk. I, d- I don't pretend that it has any benefits at all, except that it tastes good. That's all that, we, all that we have there. But it's okay to have a need. You have a need, you know what to do to, to supply it. Just because we're out of chocolate milk, just because we're out of coffee. How many people want feel it? I don't, I don't feel that at all. We're out of coffee, I don't even know it. I, I have no idea that we're eat out of this stuff. But if you are out of coffee, how many know the morning is not going as well? Yeah, we, need that, we need that coffee to come on back. Uh-huh. So you understand what it is to have a need. But just because you have a need to supply coffee into the house or whatever else it might be, doesn't mean your joy has to go away. You can still have a need. Be joyful. Now let's read this whole thing again here. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That doesn't just mean to be joyful in the trial. Because that's not what he said, is it? What did he say? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's what he's saying. He's not saying be joyful. If you stay joyful in the trial, you have not fulfilled this verse. This verse is count it all joy when you fall into into various trials. Now, you didn't intend to fall into the various trials. You just fell into it. We talked about that. But count it all joy. That means when you fall and you have a trial, you say, Yes! How many of you, that is foreign? (laughs) I do not know what you speak. Don't know what this is that you're talking about. Yeah, i You all, You all hear the Word of God through things that you experience. That's how God's going to speak to you. If you listen to Brother Keith Moore, he talks about his experience. God taught him a lot of things through... Um, uh, uh, trying to think of what they, how he they described it. Uh, he, was, he wanted to be an ultimate fighter. So all the things that are involved with that. Um, he was in an old school place. They had no pads. You worked out on concrete. And if you slipped up once, twice, third time, generally your legs were swept out from under you and <laughs> splat on the ground. And he said, You know what the proper response was? You hop back up on your feet, say, Thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> that was the proper response. Because your instructor was helping you by putting that trial upon you. So if you messed up, you ended up on the concrete floor. Not, not a nice soft mat. You don't land on mats, land on concrete floor. How many of you are signing your kids up for that? <laughs> so yeah, that's how he heard it. I heard things through running cross country. Cross country uh, runners are just different from track runners. If you have ever been involved in the sport, you know there is a wall between track runners on this side, cross country runners on this side, and neither really enjoy the other. Cross country runners think track people are wimps. That's just what we think. I don't know what track runners think about cross-country runners because I ran track, but I didn't want to. I, st- I maintain. I'm a cross-country runner. I'll do it. But see, cross-country runners, what you had to do is you had to count it all joy when you came down for the workout for the day and the coach says, we're doing intervals. Intervals are extraordinarily painful. How many think running is painful? <laughs> Multiply it by 10. You have an idea of what intervals are. And we had to get to the spot where we would be Thankful. Oh, this is good. Oh, yeah. come and get out there now. I want to get there now. I want to get out there. I want to do this. And he might come down and say, we're doing hills. Now, you don't know what hills are around here. We were up in New York, above New York City. We had hills that were so steep that if you did not slow your car down when you turned into Long Hill East, you would hit your bumper on the road. That's how steep it was. You actually had to slow down so that your car had time to start to angle up. Otherwise, you would hit your bumper on the road. And these hills would go on for a half mile, three-quarter mile, one mile. And he would, we would run them in succession, one after another, just hills. And be glad about it. Now, understand, when I first started doing this in cross-country, and went out for cross, I was not glad. I was not glad. He said intervals, I said, oh, I ran there before. They were painful. He says, hills? I said, man, these hills up here are something else. But you see, I had to change my mentality. I had to change what I was thinking. And when I came up for the, the second year, and I went up there for cross-country camp, I was in shape. I was in better shape than everybody else. And the coach said to me, he says, you know, Steve said, you are the only one who's in shape. He said, I wish everybody came here that way. We could go down there and do intervals. And I, I, I was sad. I remember, I was sad. We can't go down and do intervals because these guys aren't ready. (laughs) I wanted to go down myself and do them. Come on, take me down. I will do them. I will do them. And your mentality changed because here's the thing. If you did not change your mentality, didn't change your mentality to it, you didn't get the benefit out of it. They didn't benefit you as well. I go into the chiropractor now, you know, and they, they I mean, all all know chiropractors like to inflict pain. I think it's a requirement to be a chiropractor that you have to like to inflict pain. Not just be able to inflict pain. I think they have to enjoy it. And so, you know, they, they I'm on there on the table, and they're, they're pushing the buttons, and it hurts. It does hurt. You know, I, I work the muscles, they get them in pain, and, and uh, she goes, is this too much? I said, no. I said, you should do it more. And she's not used to that mentality. I told her, I'm, I'm used to chasing pain. We were taught, chase the pain. Pain is good. This is, this is good. Chase it. If you feel it, go after it. And so I said, make it hurt more. Do more. It's a mentality. Why? Because I go there, why? To feel better. In order to feel better, what do you have to have happen first? You have to have the pain. So what do you want? So you have to change your mentality. Now, you have other things that you do that are uncomfortable. You, you understand what God is teaching in light of those things. I understand it in the light of what, what I'm doing. What he is teaching you this here is that the trial that you fell into, now, if you fall into it, that means God didn't intend for you to be there, did he? You're not led into it. You fell into it. So God did not intend you to be there, but you're there. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. If you are going to get the good of the trial you are in, you have got to be glad that you are in it. <laughs> I mean, that is foreign to you. I do not understand this. This is be glad for the trial. I'm supposed to be glad. I fell into this. God doesn't want me here. I don't want me here. But I'm supposed to be glad. That this is where I am? Isn't that what the Word of God said? My brethren, count it all joy. Not just a little bit of joy. All. You've got to get all in, all excited. This is so great. I have got a test. Now here's, here's how we make requests of other Christians when we fall into a various trial. Here's what we do. Oh, would you please pray for me? This trial is so heavy. It's so hard. I don't know if I can make it through, but I need to get through this trial. I need to get the victory in this thing. Will you pray with me? Right? Does that sound like we're living up to this verse right here? No. This is how we should have the phone conversation. Prayer partner, guess what happened to me? This is so I got some really, really great news. Do you got time to hear it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, my car broke down. I mean, it is dead. It's gone. I can't drive it any, anymore. I have no way to get into work. Isn't this great news? <laughs> this, is, this is so fantastic. I can barely contain myself telling you this. But I have no money for a new car. Nothing. <laughs> this, is, this is so good. And the, the person on the other, one, what were they doing? Okay, get to the good news. Come on. <laughs> Did you win a car? Did some, so What's the good news? No, that's it. That's all the news I have. <laughs> but this is, oh, I can't wait for this day to get started. I can't wait to see what's going to happen on this day. Now, you don't have to use your outside hands on this one, but how many can remember the last time that you responded to a test or trial in this way? <laughs> yeah. Not so much, huh? No, we, um, we don't like those kind of tests and trials. We allow them to pull us down. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you will encounter a test or trial this way, you will have a different result. If you keep doing things way you've always done them, you're going to get the same result you got, right? This is what he said. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not because you fell into the trial. Knowing... That the testing of your faith produces patience. I am in this trial. This trial is going to test my faith. And I will have more patience after it. How does faith work? Faith with patience. You must have patience with your faith. In fact, folks, you only have as much faith as you have patience. Now we... Last, last Sunday, we handed out those uh, forms for your kids, little uh, children's bulletins, and they filled them out. It was amazing. There was one thing that showed up on every single uh, child who filled them out, every single one who wrote these things down. This is what they, this is the, what they said. This is, they all wrote this. Faith that is not tested is not known. Every single one of them wrote that down. Put it right on their, on their thing. I said, boy, I didn't think I emphasized that that much. Did I really emphasize But every single one of them put it in there. Now, not everyone spelled known right. (laughs) But I knew what they were getting at. (laughs) One person messed up tested. It took me a little while to figure out what it was. Oh, that's what they wrote. (laughs) So um, it was great. I, I really enjoyed them filling those things out for us. But knowing that the testing of your faith produces... Patience. That's what it will produce. It's like if you were in a, uh, in a weight room, if you're doing some exercising in there, it's the testing of those muscles that produces endurance in those muscles. And really, when it's talking about patience here, it's talking about patient enduring. That you're able to endure, that you're able to continue to keep on. Knowing that the t- testing of your faith produces Patience. That's why you get excited. I am in something that will produce patience. Now, joy, you have everything you need to produce joy in your life. Peace, you have everything you need to keep that peace flowing in your life. But patience, you actually need something from the outside to come along and to exert pressure upon you in order for you to produce more patience in your life. Joy, you can do it all by yourself. Peace, all by yourself. Patience, no. Patience needs something beside the faith that is in you. It needs something else in order to be produced. And that is testing and trials. That every time a test or a trial comes upon you, you now have the ability to increase your patience. Is that getting you more excited? knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He puts a but in there. But let patience have its perfect work. That means you can stop it. And I dare say, folks, most times we have. Let patience have its perfect work. Not faith. Let patience have its perfect work. That means that when the test or trial comes upon you, that you fall into, that you can have patience that is in you, have its perfect work, if you let patience do what patience is to do. Again, it's a patient enduring, which means you endure. You keep enduring. You hold on. You don't let it Go. I have never had a bulldog, but how many here have ever had a bulldog? No one. How many have ever had a neighbor who had a bulldog? Nope. All right. Then I'm just going to trust me on this one. I'm going to tell you all kinds of things about a bulldog and most of them may not be true. <laughs> no, I'm just going to tell you the true ones. If you give, I'm told that if you give a dog to a bulldog, that a bulldog is bred for things like this, that they are bred to... Bite, hold, and hang on. If you want to play tug-of-war with a bulldog, you will lose. Because you can take that rope, you can pick that rope up, you can swing that dog around. Ever done that with a dog? I love that. That is so much fun for me. Now, most of the dogs that do it, it's fun for them too. Don't feel like you're torturing the dog. They're they, they enjoying this thing. And so um, you take that thing and you swing it around and that dog does not let go. It takes it as a personal challenge. You're not going to make me let this go. I am hanging on to this. If they have a bone in their mouth, do not try and take it away from them. You will lose. There's not that they will bite you. They just will not let the bone go. You cannot get them to let it go. It's my bone. It's my rope. Whatever it is, it is mine. You will not get it. Now, I didn't have a bulldog. My sister had a... Uh, Boston Terrorist. Did you ever see that Boston Terrorist? Have ever that dog? Yeah. He, he, they, they called it a Boston Terrorist. It's a terrier. but Now, they're not quite a bulldog, but they had the same traits in that they like to grab hold of stuff and just hang on to it. And so um, I get up there with the dog, and I just loved playing with this dog. Because this dog, he just, he loved the rope. Throw the rope out there, he'd grab hold of the rope, he'd hang on to that rope, he'd pull, and he'd pull, and he'd pull. And so... Um, I would do this to him. He just would get so aggravated at this. So aggravated at this. I'd take that rope and I'd pull it closer to me. And I'd pull it closer to me. And I'd pull it closer. And I pulled it so close that his head was touching my head. And he'd just look at me in the eyes. And he, <laughs> he'd just growl. I'm not letting this go. <laughs> we just have fun when doing stuff like that. But you've got to get more bulldogish. Because what happens is that God gives you a truth. He gives you a principle in the Word of God. He's given you faith. He's given you patience. And you let it go. Don't let it go. When you are involved in a test or a trial, do not let the faith you have, the patience you have, the promises you've been given, the scriptures you've been given, don't let it go. Don't let it go. You end up saying just like that bulldog, this is my scripture. This is my faith. I'm not letting it go. And don't let it go. Do not let it go. This is mine. And you're not going to take it. So, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Isn't that the whole idea of this series? What do we need to get ourselves complete? He says that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Nothing. Now, immediately in the next verse, he goes into this. For this reason... I'm oh, sorry, wrong wrong, wrong verse uh, 5. James one five. If any of you lacks wisdom... Now, they just talk, talk about lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... How many have ever been in a situation where you have lacked wisdom? Now, think about this. Has that ever happened... Or is the a time that it mostly happens when you are involved in a test or trial? Don't you feel like when you are involved in a test or trial that you... Lack wisdom. Oh, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to handle this. Isn't it kind of interesting that he goes right from the test of trials to a person who lacks wisdom? For this reason, i keep going back to the other verse five. Sorry about that. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all just enough. Who gives to all eventually? Who gives to all he likes. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. So if you are involved in a test or trial and it's exposing something, ask God for wisdom. And God will what? He will give it to you. Yeah. He will give it to you. Now, this is how most people come into this verse. Is probably how we have uh, worked on living this ourselves. We come into the test or trial. Again, we're doing the car thing. Car has gone. It's dead. No money for a new car. Need wisdom on what to do. So I go to God and I say, God, I need wisdom on what to do in my car situation. I need a new car. I need a car to get to work. Now, generally, most Christians at this point are trying to sell God on the car idea. Have you ever tried to sell God on the car idea? You know, we did. God, I need a car to get to church. Can't get to church without a car. So, you know, you benefit from this. It's not just me. If you get me a, a new car, I can give other people a ride to church. Have you been giving people a ride to church hotel? No. But uh, I certainly would start because I would see this as a blessing from God and I want to honor God. And so, you know, I'll, I'll give people a ride to church. Yeah, we're selling God on the idea of the car. Because most of the time, you know, we are involved in a test or trial, we come up with a solution. Well, I need a new car. In fact, I think I need a brand new car. I think I need a brand new car with no payments. And I want it in red. And I want a big car. And I want a little one. Big car. I like red. If you don't like red, that's fine. I I still don't have a red truck. I wanted a red truck. Man, I wanted a red truck. But, um, they don't make too many trucks the way I need a truck to be. They, they, most of the time, they make the truck like I want. It's white or black. And you all know how I feel about white and black cars. I want a car with some color. Give me some color. Just give me some, just some color. So they found something with some color. It's navy blue. My granddaughter still calls it black. <laughs> hey, he's got a black car just, or black truck just like you, Papa. It's blue. Got to have some color in it. Oh well. But you know, we list all these different things out what we want it to be and how we want it to go. And then we throw it to God. And We settle Him on the idea. Well, that's not asking God for wisdom. When you're involved in a test of trial, ask God for wisdom. And God will say, Do this. And He'll tell you how to get out of that situation. How to get in. Now, I'm not saying you can't go out and buy a new car, that, that would ever be God's plan. I'm not telling you that at all. I'm telling, just saying, Ask God. What you would do. I I bought one used car for myself. One. The other three I bought for me were brand new. I am 55 years old. I've had four vehicles. Because I keep them a long time. I bought them new. I came into an understanding a long time ago. If I buy them new and I treat them right, they last me a long time. And they have. They have lasted me a long time. This one will last me a while. You know, I, I get into the new cars. I said, why should I get into a new car? It just make me want new stuff. My car is, my truck is doing just fine. And there's no payment. Glory to God. But if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So you, you're lacking wisdom on a thing. Ask God. God, how should I take care of this car situation? What should I do? And God may drop into your spirit, uh, go over here, look at this one, talk to so-and-so. He may do all kinds of things with you to open up an avenue, and open up a way for you to, to get a new car. But listen to him, because he's got a plan, and his plan will work. Now, before we move on from this, there is no way to get this translation digitally. I have tried. But it's one of my favorites. If you do not have a Williams Translation... We did order a bunch of them in. I think we still have a few over there, don't we? Yeah, you can get one. It will cost you $516. <laughs> but you can get one. No, we don't sell. I think, think they are only 20 and, uh And worth every bit of it. You cannot. I have not yet. You cannot find it digitally. You have to go back to the old-fashioned method here. Verse 2. You must consider it the purest joy, my brothers, when you are involved in various tri- trials. <laughs> makes it even worse, doesn't it? For you surely know that what is genuine in your faith produces the patient mind that endures. For you surely know that what is genuine in your faith produces the patient mind that endures. Because the patience that is spoken of here is a patience of enduring. Not a patience just of waiting. A patience of enduring. But you must let your endurance come to its perfect product so that you may be fully developed and perfectly equipped without any defects. That's how Williams puts it. You can read the rest of it in there too. It's all good. He is um, N- Williams is probably the best translation on translating a Greek verb. The best at it. Because Greek verbs are the hardest things to translate into proper English because they just have so many ways of, of um, depicting what they, what they want to say. And we don't. But he got, he, he accomplishes it there really well. All right, let's go on to this. So patience is produced. That word there, fall, I knew I had this in here somewhere. It comes from a compound word. The first part of this word means around. And it means to fall into something that is all around. When he says fall into various trials, he is saying fall into. Into things that are all around you. There are trials all over. And that's what this verse is saying. But here, how, are the, how are we to produce the patience? So I have a, a number of steps in here for you, numbered them throughout here. The first one was maintain your joy. Maintain your joy. Keep your joy there. Don't let your joy fall away. And understand that when you are encountering the trial, don't get mad, don't get angry. Don't get whiny. Maintain your joy. People who whine are not joyful. Number two, you may fall into various trials, but don't walk into them. Don't make your life any harder than it has to be. Let God guide you around a lot of the pitfalls that are out there. But every once in a while, you may fall into one. Doesn't mean God intended you to. But if you did, some good can come out of it. Now, number three, he hasn't revealed it yet. But James tells us to let patience have its perfect work, which means it's up to you. Let's go on. Let's read verse 4 again. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. And it will be given to him. Is there any question about that? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all. How many of you are part of the all? All right, four of you. I don't know if we can help the rest of you. You are part of the all, whether you want to admit it or not. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all, liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. He will give it to you. It's not a question. He will do it. Keep that in mind. You've got to keep that a part of mind to go on from here. So here's the third thing. Ask for what you need. In order to produce the patience, you fall into the test or trial. Test or trial generally exposes a lack of something. Right? Has... Have you ever fallen into a test or trial that it was not pointing to a lack of something? A lack of money, a lack of wisdom, a lack of ability, a lack of something. If you're in a test or trial, it's generally because of a lack. Think back to your school days when you had a test scheduled for the day. If you were nervous about the test, it was generally because you felt like There was a lack on my part compared to the test. The test is up here. My knowledge is down here. But if you approach a test and your knowledge is up here and you feel like the test is down here, does it feel like a test? No. Remember that show we talked about it before? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? How many are shocked at how many of those answers you don't know? that's just kind of amazing really this was fifth grade I knew this in fifth grade and I don't know it now the only thing that makes a question a test is if you don't know the answer no matter how complicated the question if you know the answer it's simple it's just one of those you don't know the answer but he'll give you that wisdom that you need But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So number three, ask for what you need. Now this is not a continual asking. This is God, I need wisdom in this situation. What's the word of God say? I'll give it to you. Thank you God that I had that wisdom that I need. And we go on from there. We stay at peace because I have what I need. I ask God. He's going to give it to me. But we are then barraged by a number of people and a number of sources. Friends may come up to you and say, what are you going to do about that situation? How many have ever had that happen? People know that you're in a test or trial. And they come up to you and say, sister, what are you going to do in this situation? And you don't have the answer yet, but you ask God. But you don't have the answer yet, so what do you say? I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've asked God, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I get kind of nervous because I need to make a decision. I need to go, but I don't know what to do. First thing I got to do right there is shut your mouth. Just shut your mouth. I think it was, um, uh, somebody was telling me the story of George Mueller. Anybody know the story of George Mueller? Anybody not know the story of George Mueller. I do to get some hands on that. All right. So all right, he's a great guy to go look up. He ran an orphanage for uh, for kids and uh, this man just could believe God for a million dollars as easily as you and I can believe God for 10. Just incredible. And uh, he, there was a particular time when this orphanage needed a large amount of money. He wasn't secret about it. It was a tester trial. And I don't know if it was a million dollars, if it was a hundred thousand dollars, it was whatever it was, it was a large sum of money. And the entire orphanage knew about it. The staff knew about it. The kids knew about it. Everybody knew we need this money in order to keep this place going. Then they had about two weeks until the time was due. And they'd come to him and they'd say, George, did you, uh, did you get the money? He says, no. Did you get any of it? No. But I don't need it yet. And they go on. He's just calm. A week before the, the, the thing is needed. Brother George, did you, did you get the money? Uh, no. No. D- did you get any of it? No. Didn't get any of it yet. But I don't need it yet. I don't need it for a week. Three days. Brother George, did you get the money? No. Did you get any of it? Did anything come in for it? No. But I don't need it yet. I don't need it for three more days. He just went on. Day of. Brother George, did you get the money? No. Did you get any of it? No. But I don't need it yet. (laughs) And he went on. And um, this is this is over, I believe is over in England. And apparently during his day, they really delivered mail. They had the morning mail and the afternoon mail. They delivered mail twice in the day. And so they had gotten their first load of mail in, and nothing was in there. And they'd gotten the second load of mail in, and he hadn't even opened it or gone through it. And so he was going to bed that night on the day that it was needed. And um, he's ready to go to bed. And as he's laying down to go to sleep, the Spirit of God woke him up and says, um, did you check the mail? Uh, no, I'll check it in the morning. He said, when the mail came in, did you notice a certain package, yellow in color? Uh, yeah. Open it. Can it wait till the morning? Open it up. So he opened it up. And inside, there was a bunch of money. Cash money in the envelope. So he sat up, counted the money out, Oh, just enough. Turned the light out and went to sleep. (laughs) It was just enough. And that was it, he went to sleep. I guess he was, well, you it could have been more. I don't know, it was just enough and, and that was it. See, sometimes we get so anxious to get the answer that I put pressure on God. I need it now. Really, I want it now. And if I do that, I'm losing the patient endurance. And the trial is not having its effect upon me. Any kind of positive effect. All it's doing is chasing my faith away. So, ask in faith. Now, well, ask for what you need. If you're going to ask what you need, you have to ask in faith. Because he goes on and he teaches about that. You've got to ask in faith. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith. So if you're going to ask, ask in faith with no doubting. With no doubting. Doesn't say some doubting. He says no doubting. And let him ask in faith with no doubting. Now here's a lot. We, we go into the test of trial. And because the test of trial is putting pressure upon us. We're in the test of trial. And we ask God. God I need money. I need wisdom. I need whatever it is that I need. I ask God. God I need. and We lay it on out there. And we. I believe that I've received that. And we go on and then the test or trial begins to exert pressure. You know, you need that now. You better get that early. You don't want to be calling it close. You need to get that now. Why don't you have it now? Or people will come up. Do you know what you're going to do about that? And I don't know what to answer them. How do I answer these people? I don't have the wisdom yet. I don't have the knowledge yet. I don't know what I'm going to do. Just simply answer this. I don't need to know what I'm going to do yet. When I do, I'll know exactly what I need to do. And go on. That's all you got to do. You don't got to say, yep, I got the answer, but I'm not telling you. You don't got to do stuff like that. Don't let other people, don't let the enemy, don't let your own flesh put pressure on you. Because these sources like to do it. Your flesh likes things. Now, when you are hungry for a pizza, when do you want it? I want it now because I'm hungry for a pizza now. So that's what I want. I want it now. I don't want it in an hour. I want it now. And we call it the pizza place. How long for a piece of pizza? We're busy right now. It'll be 55 minutes till we get it to you. That's too long. I'm going to go and call somebody else. Because I want it now. So your flesh has pressure for it now. The enemy wants to get you to want it now because if he does, he gets you out of patience. So he's going to try and do that too. So you've got lots of forces that are trying to get you into that now mentality. Whereas James is saying, don't be in that now mentality. Be in a patient, enduring mentality. If you ask God for something, he will give it to you. If you ask him for wisdom, he will give it to you. He will. He will give it to you. That's what he said. he gives it to all. You're part of the all. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Now don't think that Brother Hagin used to always tell us this. Just because a doubt came in your head doesn't mean you have a doubt in your heart. Keep that in mind. The enemy can throw a doubt in your head doesn't mean a doubt hit your heart. Don't you get into condemnation because a doubt hits your head. Word of God, when Jesus taught us on it, he says, And does not doubt in his heart. Your head's unruly. You can bring it into subjection, but don't uh, don't let the enemy, you thought, about you are doubting. In your, in your mind, you're not going to receive anything from God. Don't accept that. But let him ask in faith but no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. The enemy is trying to undermine your faith, folks. Trying to steal your joy. He's going to try and disrupt your peace. And he's going to bring a sense of urgency to undermine your patience. For let not that man suppose... That he will receive anything from the Lord. Didn't he just say that God would give it to all? Then he says, you're not going to receive anything. Why? Because you doubted. Because you became double-minded. Don't do it. Did you ask God for help in that? Then it's up to God. You're in a test or trial. It's here to produce some some patience. Some patient enduring. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So it is the staying in faith that produces the patience. The staying in faith. As so we put number four in there for you, don't accept time limits. Don't accept time limits. Just because something external wants to put a time limit on, don't accept it. Just stay in faith. No doubting. Did you ask God for it? I did. Does God grant those requests? He does. And it's mine. And you go on. And you stay there in patience. Now, being anxious, that's not patience. Being fretful, coming into doubt, that's not patience. Patience is, I know, I have the thing that I asked for. I know it. I've got it. God gave it to me. It's on its way. It is coming to me now. Glory to God. Anybody wants to try and tell you something different? then uh, just keep that in mind and don't share these things with them again. Because there are some people that will constantly put that urgency on you. But you need that now, don't you? You need that thing to be healed now, don't you? I mean, I'm, that's, that's really hurting you. Why is God letting that continue to hurt you? I can't believe God would do that. I thought God loved you. And he's, he's, they're trying to put that urgency on you. It's just trying to undermine your faith. Just quit it. I don't care. I'm going to keep on going on. I ask God. And God said his mine. I'm not doubting. I'm not being double-minded. I'm going to let patience have its perfect work and it's going to produce patience in me. Devil, come on. Bring some more. Bring some more. Just, come on. Is that all you got? Bring some more because you are producing patience on the inside of me. I just feel myself getting stronger. Come on, bring some more. Bring some. I I can take some more. Come on, you you got to do better than that. I mean, maybe that would take me down ten years ago, but I'm a lot stronger now. That's not taking me down. You got anything better? Taunt him. You don't like it? He taunts you. Taunt him back. Now, a number of years ago, for those of you that are counting, it's precisely thirteen. I gave you these two principles. I wrote them in your outline for you to give them again. I'll bet you some of you may have even forgot them. Here's principle number one. No test, trial, or hardship will I let steal my joy or fill me with complaining and negativity. No test, trial, or hardship will I let steal my joy or fill me with complaining and negativity. I will keep the goal of the production of patience, endurance before me. That's a principle. Keep that in your, in your mind. Keep that before you. Don't let the enemy pull this away. Here's principle number two. An attitude of lack is produced by operating out of joy, thereby denying patience from its perfecting, completing work. An attitude of lack is produced by operating out of joy. Now you think about this. When was the last time? Hopefully you've got to think back a while. When was the last time you had a mentality of lack? I don't have this. I'm missing this. I don't have this in my life. When was the last time you had that attitude in your life and you also maintained joy? An attitude of lack is an enemy of joy. If you maintain an attitude of joy, you will not maintain an attitude of lack. There's an attitude of lack that causes that urgency to come up on the inside. I need it now. Don't let that happen. We're going to be talking more about patience, how it's supposed to have its perfect work, what it's supposed to be doing on the inside of you. Because this is imperative. You got it. We're going through tests and trials, but we're not getting anything that we're supposed to out of them. We're just going through the tests and trials. And it's no fun. We don't like tests and trials. If you understand... What the test or trial is supposed to do. Then you will get something out of it. I don't know if I've shared this story with you. But you know the first time I ran into the the interval workout? First time I ran into the interval workout was in high school. At this point, I had been running a good bit. I could get, because I didn't have a car, I could get anywhere I needed to go within 10 mile radius. That means I could run out there 10 miles and run back and get there and get back anywhere. Any day of the week, I could get there. Generally, I was running to school. I was running home. I was running to work. I was running back from work. Altogether, just that was about uh, seven miles. That wasn't the running workout. That was just getting to school, getting home from school, getting to work, and back from work. That was it. But I could run all kinds of places. And gym class, they gave us what I found out later. Didn't know it. Found out later, they gave us a workout, They're getting us ready for the mile run. They gave us a workout for intervals, but the coach was gone. He was out for the week. He was out for the two weeks. I don't know. He was gone for a while, and somebody else came in, and no one explained to me what intervals were. Intervals are simply this. You run a short distance at a harder pace with an interval of rest in between. So generally, one of the more common ones, you run a quarter-mile at a speed that you want to maintain, and take about two minutes rest in between. In college, we would do about 20 of these. So we'd run five miles, 20 quarter miles, with about two minutes rest in between, and he expected us to run them at 90% speed. 90% of your top speed, you should be running these uh, these things at. So, it, and you had a he timed you, so you had to be, the first one had to be same as the last one, but they didn't explain that to me. So they gave me that. That workout, they said the teacher got up there, substitute teacher said, this is what we're going to do today. We're going um, to run a quarter mile around the track and then walk and then run a quarter mile around the track and then walk and then run a quarter mile around the track and then walk and then this is what we're going to do. This is the workout. I scoffed at it. <sighs> I can run a quarter mile in my sleep. Are you talking to me? I don't need to be walking after the quarter mile run. So I just ran the whole the whole session, the whole time. I just ran around the track. That's all I did. I didn't go fast and then walk, and I missed the workout. But no one explained to me what it was. So I went through, and I ran circles around all of them. I did more than they did. But if I'm not doing the interval, I'm not getting the benefit of the interval. I'm not going to explain. There's a whole lot you can tell you about how they benefit all this. It's not really that, that important for this. What is important is this. I didn't know what it was supposed to do. Because I didn't know it, I didn't get the benefit. We don't know what the benefit of the tests and trials is supposed to do. So we're not getting it. We're not going through it the right way. We're going through tests and trials. We've had lots of tests and trials, but we're not getting any more patience. And the tests and trials aren't getting easier. We're not getting better at them. So we need to learn from the Word of God. What do I have to do when I'm in tests and trials? How can I get this down? That when I'm going through the test and trial, I know exactly how I'm supposed to do, what I'm supposed to do to accomplish here. Because it's really important that we do it. No complaining. No murmuring. No focusing on lack. Joy has come upon my life. And I am excited for what it's going to produce in me. And you're going to see our patience go up. And then go up some more. If you get your patience to rise to a higher level than it is right now, What happens to your faith? It will increase. You cannot raise your patience without also increasing your faith. You can't do it. But the same is also true. You cannot increase your faith if you don't increase your patience. The two go up exactly even. You only have as much faith as you have patience to support it. So we've got to get that patience up. We've done all kinds of work to get our faith up. We've got to do some work to get our patience up. Because we've got our faith ready to, ready to roll. But the patience isn't there. So we're going to look at some other places in the Word of God and learn some things about patience and what we can do. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our first Sunday of the month and Communion Sunday. We're going to ask our ushers to come. As they are distributing the elements for you all, the Word of God tells us, that when we come into this time of communion, that we are to do a self-examining. We are to check ourselves out. How am I doing? How am I doing? My forgiveness. Have I forgiven the people that are around me? Now, don't get the devil's side of forgiveness. The devil's side of forgiveness is anybody who's done you wrong, you need to forgive them. And if you haven't done it, then you're wrong. And it'll put you under guilt and condemnation. That's not the right way to do it. Forgiveness is has anyone approached you and said I did something wrong, I did something against you, will you forgive me? And if anyone has done that, I'm sure that all the people here, that you'd say, of course I'll forgive you. And you'd go on. That's the forgiveness. Now make sure that bitterness doesn't get its root in you. Bitterness is different. That's when someone has done something against you, but they haven't asked for forgiveness. It doesn't say to forgive them. It just says don't get Bitter. Don't let bitterness come in. How does God forgive? God forgives those who ask. If God forgives those who ask, why would He ask you to do something different? Now this is nothing new to you. We talked to this kind of things before. You not know, unless the devil gets you in the wrong condemnation and a thing that well, I've I've not forgiven so and so because I still don't trust them. Well, they haven't asked you for forgiveness yet, have they? They haven't asked you for forgiveness. There's no reason to restore the trust. Does God do that? He's our, he's our example. We do it as He did it. But any time that someone has wronged God and they come to Him and they say, Will you forgive me? What's He do? Sure will. Come on and wait for you to ask that. Because he, does, he doesn't let the root of bitterness get in. You let the root of bitterness get in when someone comes and finally asks for forgiveness, you'll say no. Because bitterness got in. Don't let bitterness get in. Keep that out. Make sure you keep that straight. Because this is the time you're supposed to do a self examination. Don't examine yourself for the wrong things. Bitterness, you're in control of. Forgiveness, someone has to ask for. Then you extend it. But bitterness, if that has gotten into your life, you know how long it takes to get rid of it? You can get rid of it instantly. Just, I'm not going to hang on to that. Let that go. I am not going to be bitter towards so-and-so. Whoever that might be. And you just let it go. But after you examine yourself, doesn't mean you're perfect. doesn't mean that every bad thing that you've ever done, that you're not doing them anymore. No. just means that you stand forgiven before God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, He started off by taking the bread. He said, this represents my body which is broken for you. The sickness, disease, the pains that were put upon this world, because of sin, he bore them so that you don't have to. Let's remember what he did. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. As often as you drink from this cup. You do it in remembrance of me. He shed his blood on the cross for us. No other blood is needed. No other price needs to be paid. Don't let the enemy tell you different. You've been redeemed. You have been bought. You have been set free. Nice drink together and remember. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that you are growing us up, that you've given us the ability to increase our joy, increase the peace we walk in. And Father, when we fall into various trials, we have the opportunity to increase our patience. And I thank you, Father, for the things we learn. And whatever trials we are in, we give you the praise and the glory for. Help us to remember these principles that James taught us this week and whatever it is that we come, up, come upon. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Any other praise reports? Oh, we got a couple of them up here. All right. Vanessa says, I received a pay increase. Unexpected. That's, that's nice when they're expected, but how much nicer when they're not unexpected? All right. Daryl, I had a piece of equipment break down in the middle of a job this week. I called one repair shop, and they said it would be four to six weeks before I could have it repaired. I spoke to a second one. They said one to two weeks. God said, call one more. (laughs) They said, bring it in the next day. I thank God for his mighty favor that he gives us through the hands of men. So you got it the next day and they fixed it? Uh, They have it and they are fixing it. Better than four to six weeks and one to two weeks, right? That's good. I had one I forgot to write down when I came in. I was um, running along the 202 bypass. How many have ever seen a 202 bypass where they have those sections of fence that are taken out? You know, cars swerve off there and take them out. Yeah. Well, I, I saw that happen. <laughs> there, was a, there was a car who was coming on up, and um, it was not my, my wife's car. It was a silver PT Cruiser coming on up, and I heard this noise. There was all these cars on the 202, but I heard this noise, and I thought it was kind of weird. But I was in a spot, and I couldn't really see the cars, so I moved over so the fence wasn't blocking it. And I, I looked over, and there was this PT Cruiser driving on not only a flat tire, but the tire had been chewed up, and it's just kind of spinning around the wheel and basically on the wheel. But at that point, when I'm even with the car, I can't flag them down, tell them, because they're traveling 40 miles an hour, flying on down the road. This thing is going on. I says, man, that is not good. And so I kept on running and went on down to where I was going and came on back. And as I came on back, saw flashing lights. I said, I know what happened. <laughs> And so I got close to it, and they had taken out um, three or four sections of the fence and had driven their car, I guess they were not in control of it, for about a tenth of a mile on the on the trail. And then they finally came to a stop. Uh, by the time I was there, there was an ambulance there and um, three police officers and so forth. I was just at that spot eight minutes before. Now, the, the praise report, you could say, you know, thank God, eight minutes before I wasn't there, but I'm, I was thinking... Father, if, if I was at that spot two minutes sooner, I probably could have seen her in a better spot and flagged her down <laughs> and told her that—or I think it was her anyway. Uh, I think it's because I think a PT Cruiser is a girl car. <laughs> I think that's why I think that. I don't—I I didn't really see the driver; I was focused on the tires. But <laughs> anyway, thank God for for that. Um, keep some praise. We got another one. Oh, all right. Keep those praise reports coming, folks. We want to see uh, Ray is not with us today uh, in the service. He is in, went to the ER last night. He had a oh, there we go. There are more. Glory to God. Ray is uh, went in the ER last night for a migraine, and then you said something else, and I really have absolutely no idea what you said. Okay, that did not look like TIA. Okay, because I called you afterwards, and I didn't get you. <laughs> I said I didn't know what it was. Uh, Mm-hmm. All right, now we got that straight, because that was not straight what the, the text was <laughs> Praise report, Ethel Waters, on the way home Wednesday night, a panel from underneath my car came loose and began to dr- um, drag the ground, making a lot of noise. I dropped it off at Pet Boys near my office, which is uh, known to be expensive. They tied the piece back into place and did not charge a thing. I did my praise dance, and I'm very thankful and grateful for the blessing. <laughs> Alexa, surgery went well on Tuesday, a little swollen still, but stitches came out on Thursday, and can eat again. We saw some of that saga on, on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, you don't catch up on these things, you know. <laughs> Keep telling y'all. Alyssa, last night was such a blessing to me. The families that came were so grateful. They made it a point to seek me out uh, as their contact person to thank me. I even got a wonderful email last night from a family thanking uh, thanking us for welcoming them so warmly, making them feel welcome, at ease. They were excited to come back later this month. Pray that the seeds we've sown bear fruit. And we thank all you folks for, for being out here. You guys just did a wonderful job of welcoming them all in and uh, uh, talking with them. And you did exactly what we wanted you to do when you're out here, just fellowshiping with them and making them feel part of a family. And uh, really appreciate that. And for all you folks who... Did the work. Alyssa did so much planning and preparation. I saw some of it, I didn't say all of it, and it was a lot. I appreciate all that she did with that. Connie and Nikolai were running around and helping and doing all sorts of stuff, and it was just uh, uh, one day they were doing things all, all the day. And then Sharon came on by on, on Friday and uh, just helped paint, get all the, the stuff in there painted up and readied up. And then she was having trouble with um, her leg, so Sharon went out with her and helped her buy the rest of the presents that were needed. <laughs> We appreciate her being there and helping out with that, and all the all the rest of you for uh, coming on out and helping out in all the different ways you did. It was just a it was neat to see everybody working on that. It was really fun. Uh, Alyssa needs prayer. We'll put that over here. All right, the Jacobs. Uh, so with safe travel to and from Florida, plus uh financial blessing at work. Uh, uh, above, oh there it is. Okay, above what was expected. <laughs> I don't do well with cursive right now. <laughs> Seeing a greater, deeper presence of God in one of your children. Oh, it's in our children. There it is. It is plural. Okay. Seeing a greater, deeper presence of God in our children. Good praise reports right there. All right. Alyssa needed prayer for healing in her leg and shoulder. We can uh, lay hands on her for that. Uh, Jim is also, he was back in the ER. Did you get the gist of what was going on with that? Okay. He's not here this morning. Uh, he was still having some things going on with that. So uh, let's uh, bring Alyssa up. We'll lay hands on her and, um, and, and pray for them. All right, come on. Now, when you're praying, praying for Ray, when you're praying for Jim, now remember, we don't ask God to heal people. Because what did God do? Send Jesus. Send Jesus. The work's been done. He gave us his name. We use his name against that. Uh, but you can pray for Ray. You can pray for Jim, that their, their faith is encouraged that their faith stays up, that they had the patience that they need. <laughs> you pray for things like that. Those are good things to, to pray for. All right, let's all stand up one more time. Leg and shoulder. I've been hearing more about the leg. That's the higher pain, higher pain level. You coming up? Too? That's, uh, that's the right shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. In the name of Jesus, we speak to this shoulder right now. That whatever it is it's tight, whatever it is that is not connected in the right way, in Jesus' name, that will be done right now. Healing power of God, come in and restore this shoulder and restore this hip and this leg, that it is working and functioning and there is no pain. Pain, we command that you leave this body right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for it. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Well, whatever it is that you're facing, ask God for wisdom for it, and God will give it to you. (coughs) Write up some testimonies. Some things that uh, God is doing for you in in that. Get some praise reports in there, what what God is doing. Have a great rest of the week. Today, after uh, 1 o'clock, we're going to give you a chance to go out and get something to eat. We're going to be going over some of Jesus' teaching. The disciples asked Jesus three questions. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? We're going to see some things that Jesus teaches that the last time we looked at this was not happening. There are some things that are happening now that show some light on what Jesus said. If you want to ha- understand what that is, you have to come on out to class at 1 o'clock. We're looking at Jesus teaching on the end times, and we're going to see some things that are happening right now in light of what Jesus said would be happening. So we're going to go over that, uh, at that uh, in the class here at 1 o'clock. We'll go from 1 to 2. The people were in the financial uh, peace class said that they'd really rather to only do one class and, and not. So when we're having the end times class, we won't have the financial peace class. So we're just having that one. And then next week, there are no classes because we have a baby dedication. Who could that be? <laughs> baby dedication next week. So after that, uh, she has some family coming in and uh, we'll be doing some family things after the... After that, so we won't be able to be here for the, for the classes. So that this will be the last class for December, because then we have Christmas and things going on with that. So uh, this will be the last class. We'll pick up the rest of them in January. Wednesday, we are here for the midweek service. And you all, if you were not here for the uh, church meeting, the people that were here spoke in your place <laughs> and decided that uh, no, no service Sunday morning, big service on Saturday night. So we're starting Saturday night, at six o'clock, going until eight o'clock. It's going to be a kind of a normal Sunday service with candlelight thrown in at the end. All right, and then no service on Sunday. You pray for me because I'm not used to. I'm not used to this. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do on Sunday morning here. <laughs> but that's what we're, that's what we're doing. I did not expect the vote to go that way. I was really, I was just kind of surprised. I said, Nah, surely not. We'll probably be about half and half, and then we'll probably. But uh, anyway, it was quite overwhelming, so that's, uh, that's fine. It's good to be with your family. Folks, you are not people who just come out on Christmas and Easter for, for service. You come out all year long, and uh, it's not going to uh, hinder your place in heaven much. <coughs> no, it won't mess with it at all. Have a great rest of the day. Hope to see some of you at one.